Well, if you would, Psalm 66 this morning again is where we'll be. Uh, two weeks ago, <clears throat> we examined some hindrances to prayer. And uh, we talked a little bit about some unconfessed sin, idols in our lives, uh, wrong motives in prayer, uh, lack of faith, uh, unforgiving spirit, and a lack of persistence in prayer. Those were, were a couple of the, the topics we have. And so this morning, we're going to continue uh, to look at some hindrances to prayer uh, as we continue our series, Commanded to Pray. Um, <clears throat> but we looked at those five hindrances, and Lord willing, we'll look at five more today. But it still amazes me that God has chosen to partner with us and to work in this world through our prayers. Uh, it's interesting, I, I have a book uh, written by E.M. Bounds, Edward McKendra Bounds, uh, and it's E.M. Bounds on prayer, and I think it's a compilation of several books. Um, and I was reading some of that this week, and, and I'll tell you what, it's convicting. Um, and I was looking at some other things in prayer. Uh, just poke my eye out, sorry. Um, I'm wearing contacts, and I have readers now, so I'm, I got a new routine to learn. Sorry, bear with me. Um, but I was looking at some of the historical uh, preachers of years gone by, and what they, the amount of time they spent in prayer. Uh, and I come up short, <laughs> I would say. Uh, they certainly prayed. Uh, prayer was a very important part of their ministry, I would say. And it was very convicting to, to see some of that. And, and Lord willing, well, I got some, some quotes from Ian e. Bounds that we might look at in the weeks to come as we continue in this idea of prayer. Uh, but listen, God wants to hear your prayers. God wants to work, and, and sometimes it's hindered just for the simple reason that we don't pray. And that's going to be probably the biggest emphasis today. And uh, I just want to remind you, if you're not praying, you're holding back on God's power to work in your life and in your ministry. Um, it, it, your, your, your ministry and, and really life as we know it, the Christian life, uh, as we call it, is hindered because of your lack of prayer. Uh, and so we're going to look at a few more things this week. Um, so let's look at our text passage. We'll just use this kind of as a springboard as, as we, we opened up with, with the idea of unconfessed sin last week. And so uh, we'll certainly look at some other passages this morning, but I want to take us back to where we opened up uh, last, or two weeks ago, I guess it was. Brother Wagner was here, and that was a blessing, was it not? But Psalm 66, let's read uh, verses 17 down through the end of the chapter. It says, I cried unto him with my mouth, and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. But verily God hath heard me. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Father, we do thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together today. And certainly, Lord, we desire to meet with you this morning. And so, Father, we pray for a Holy Spirit filling. We pray that you would use your word in a mighty way uh, to work in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of prayer. Lord, help us to make it a priority. And, Father, we just ask that you would work in each and every heart. 
that you'd speak to our hearts and draw us near to you through it. In Jesus' name, amen. I found this commentary on this passage here in, in Psalm 66. It says this, Consider what is implied in regarding iniquity in the heart. The words do not point to open, profane, and scandalous sinners, but there are many who maintain a fair character before men, who before God shall be found wanting indeed. What an indictment. And, and if you remember the comment I made, that oftentimes our, our prayer life struggles because it's a private thing. Uh, and people don't see that. And we're really good at putting on for the outward appearance. Boy, we dress up right for church. Uh, we're, we're, we won't miss a service because somebody will point it out that we weren't faithful. And, and so oftentimes we're good at conforming to the outward image. Uh, and I believe that's one of the reasons that Christians' prayer lives struggle the most is because there's no outward accountability. Uh, and, and the reality is it's just a reflection of where we truly are spiritually. Uh, just because you've conformed outwardly doesn't mean you're godly. doesn't mean you're spiritual. And so God help us to walk with Him. Uh, that's what it's all about, a relationship uh, with our God and, and a God that loved us enough to die for us. And so today as we continue here, we'll look at a couple more uh, things. Um, so certainly if we allow these things to be present in our lives, or as the psalmist says, if we allow iniquity in our hearts, our prayer will be hindered. So we understand that there are things that we can do that will hinder our prayer life. And we're looking at some specific things from the Word of God over a couple of weeks ago and then today. Uh, but I want to, to make note of something here in our, in our, our, in our passage in, in Psalm 66. It says there in verse 18, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And then we'll look at verse 19, But verily God hath heard me. So the psalmist dealt with whatever that iniquity was. He hath attended to the voice of my prayer. God was attentive. Blessed be God, and here's the key, which hath not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. And so as we go through these hindrances, if we find them in our life and we deal with them, thank God that he's merciful. Uh, he forgives us of our shortcomings, of our failures, of our sin, and he's attentive and wants to hear our prayer. And, and so listen, if these are, are in your life, I encourage you to deal with it. Uh, get rid of them. And so we looked at the idea of unconfessed sin. Uh, we talked about some idols in our hearts and, and maybe the wrong motive in prayer. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss, they may consume it upon your lust. Uh, sometimes we get frustrated our prayers aren't being answered, but we're answering with a poor motive or a wrong motive. A sinful motive, it, it's just something we're trying to consume upon our flesh. Remember, prayer is about getting a hold of the will of God. Um, and perhaps we, or we have a lack of faith. We don't believe that God will answer. We don't believe that God can do what we're asking Him to do. We must, the, Mark 11, verse 24, says that we need to believe that ye receive them. We, ha we have to come to God in faith. Uh, but if we have an unforgiving spirit, our prayers can be hindered. We learn that in Mark 11 as well. And perhaps we have a lack of persistence. And we looked at the Luke 18 parable there of the woman uh, and the unjust judge. But today we're going to start out with some stubborn disobedience to God's word. You cannot expect your prayers to be answered if you're not going to be obedient to what God has already directed you. Uh, 
And I'll, I'll validate that with the Bible here, if you don't believe me. The Bible is clear that God is ready to hear and answer our prayers. We understand that. Uh, Psalm 34, 15, The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and His ears are open unto their cry. John 9, 31, Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth His will, him he heareth. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him, because we keep His commandments and do those things which are pleasing in His sight. And so these are all verses that would help us to understand that we must be obedient to God and His Word if we expect Him to answer our prayers. But a willful rejection of God's Word will, regard, will result in God's rejection of our words or our prayers, our supplications. You can look with me. I, here's a notable example. Zechariah, uh, you can turn there, uh, there toward the latter part of the Old Testament. <clears throat> Uh, if you can find it, some of you might not know where that's at. It's just past Zephaniah in a, in a book from there, but um, talk about finding Malachi and, and stuff. But uh, Zechariah, there's a good example of, of what I'm trying to convey this morning about if we're not going to be obedient to what God has directed in our lives, how dare we expect Him to attend to our prayers? And so Zechariah chapter 7, verses 11 through 13 says this. And we're kind of picking up in the middle of this, and the prophets have spoken, and there's a lot here. I just am trying to make a quick point before we move on this morning, because we may run out of time again. But Zechariah, verse 11 says this, But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder, and stopped their ears that they should not hear. Yea, they made their hearts as an adamant stone, lest they should hear the law, and the words which the Lord of hosts have sent in his spirit, by the former prophets. Therefore came a great wrath from the Lord of hosts. Look what it says here. Therefore it came to pass that as he cried, and they would not hear, so as God was trying to speak to them, uh, the word of God had come to them, and he was crying out to them to respond. And it says, so <clears throat> that as he cried, and they would not hear, look what it says, so they cried, and I would not hear, saith the Lord of hosts. Listen to me this morning. You cannot live in blatant disobedience to God's word and expect an effective prayer life. It, I'm just going to be simple. It simply just does not work that way. And so don't be the person that goes about living your life in contrast or, or contrary to what the word of God says or even what I would say, what God has burdened in your life. Because God gives us direction uh, from His Word, but there are things that aren't specifically spelled out in the Word of God that God says, hey, you should deal with this in your life. You need to attend to this matter. It's hindering your walk with me. And if we're not going to be obedient to those things, we can't expect God to hear our prayers. And I know for me, and I can speak out of my experiences, every time that I've got down and I've wanted God to do something and I've been praying and asking God to do something, oftentimes He reveals those things to me that He's already asked me to do and I've been negligent or disobedient and not done that. And God says, listen, it stops here until that's dealt with. So don't be the one that goes around quoting the verses that I did a moment ago, and whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are not pleasing in His sight. Because oftentimes we say those things publicly, but privately we know that we have disobedience. 
And I can't begin to imagine how churches are hindered in the work of God because of the disobedience of God's people. Do you believe God wants us to go further? We are to be conformed more and more day by day to the image of Christ. So each of us individually, I believe, God has desired and he has worked in our lives day by day. Every day God's asking us to do something. And if we're not submissive and yielding to that and obedient to that, our prayers will be hindered, but the work of God is not going to go forward. Did you know we're an assembly? The church? Listen, it takes all of us. And so if we're not all being obedient as God works in our life, certainly as God has spelled out in His Word. But what I'm trying to get at this morning is there are times when God speaks to your heart, you know the Holy Spirit of God has convicted you about a matter, and you've resisted and you've disobeyed, you've hardened your heart, you've become an adamant stone, yet you still want the blessing of God in your life. Woe unto us that would do such a thing. God's not even going to hear our prayer if that's where we're at, let alone be able to work mightily amongst us. But I am reminded that God still works because we're not all idiots. There are some people that appear to be doing the right thing. And so God still uses people, right? Because the reality is out of a a church this size and, and the number of people here, somebody in here is disobedient to something God's asked them to do. I don't know who it is. Pastor doesn't know who it is. But the person that's being disobedient, the Holy Spirit is pricking them right now saying, hey, what about that thing I've asked you to work on? What about that thing I've asked you to to deal with? How come you haven't dealt with that? God, help us. You're hindering the work of God. Uh, And you're certainly hindering your prayer life. So you simply just cannot expect God to answer your prayers if you're walking in disobedience. And so number two this morning, which is number eight in a list of ten that I have here, and and by no means is this a comprehensive list. These are just some some highlights I brought out. Um, And and this one, well, let's let's just stick to my notes. As As a blessed people, God expects us to regard the condition of the poor. Has God blessed you today? Boy, he certainly has blessed me and my family. Uh, Beyond the things that we need. Uh, So abundantly, God has blessed us. Whoso stoppeth his ear at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. Proverbs 21, 13. Uh, And this is a principle that Jesus addressed in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. We can't look at those in need uh, and just have a disregard for that and be negligent in that matter and expect God to answer our prayer. That's the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that we have an obligation to meet every poor person's need. But as God works in your heart and as you're able, you need to be obedient to that. We, we can't feed all of Rapid City. I can't afford that personally. Uh, and, and I don't necessarily even think that's what God wants. Uh, because God's working in their life in a, in a, in a different way as well. So, but what I am telling you is if, if God impresses on your, par, on your heart to, to do a work for somebody that is poor... You need to be obedient. And if you're not going to be obedient, don't expect your prayers to be answered. Did you know the Lord cares for the poor? The person on the street, 
and listen, this is convicting for me because sometimes I, I just get a job, dude. It's frustrating, right? And so, so I understand that. But did you know God loves that person no less than me or you? He died for them the same as me and you. And God loves those people. And certainly we need to be careful not to be judging their condition. And so because he loves them, he expects and commands us as his children to do the same. Uh, to love them. And, and so listen, all I'm saying this morning, you can't just disregard it. Disregarding them and God's will in the matter when he works in your heart to do those things and to meet the needs of the poor, uh, if you would disregard that, it, it will hinder your prayer. Uh, it says, but shall not be heard. Uh, that's pretty simple there. And, and here's, I found this commentary. These commentators, they help you so much sometimes. Um, look at what, Adam Clark said, the words are quite plain. There is no difficulty here. I, I go to the commentator for some, something good, and he says, it's pretty simple. And oftentimes that's the case in the Word of God. We're looking for something there. Listen, just ask God to use His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart as you read His Word. Uh, commentators, those commentaries, they're good, and, and they have a place, I, I think. But listen, if we would just get in God's Word and allow the Holy Spirit to teach us, we'd be far better off oftentimes. But I just thought that was, I, I thought I had to share that. The words are quite plain. There is no difficulty here. Thanks for your time to write that down and, and publish that. But listen, you cannot be indifferent to the poor, physically or spiritually, and expect God to hear your prayer. It's pretty simple. And so God help us that as he leads, that we would do what we can to meet the needs of the poor and the needy in our community. Um, and that takes on different forms in different places at different times. Um, but moving on here, mistreating your wife. Uh, we might even say your spouse. I think this principle can go both ways. And maybe I can make, that, make some sense of that as we go through these couple of notes here because... I'm not even to the meat of what I want to get to this morning, but First uh, Peter 3, 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So men, this morning, you specifically, if you're not conducting yourself and living with your wife, dwelling with her according to knowledge, your prayers will be hindered. We can go back to Adam Clark's commentary and say it's pretty plain and simple. It doesn't take a theologian to figure out what the Word of God is saying here. And so certainly this is more specific to husbands. I certainly think the application could be made for both the husband and the wife. But listen to me, man. You have the overall responsibility to lead the home, and that is especially in this area. I submit to you, you can either pray acceptably if they live it very... Or, um, can either husband or wife pray acceptably if they live at variance with their spouse? If you're at odds, I know I can't. There have been times I've had to go to Cindy and say, hey, listen, I need your forgiveness. I can't pray right now. I, I just feel like there's... And I'm just being honest this morning. Uh, there are times I've felt this principle, this Bible verse in my personal life. And it was something that I did not want to deal with. I wanted her to cave before I did. 
But God said, listen, you're the, are you not the head of the home? How about you go set an example of how it ought to be so in the future when perhaps maybe she is wrong, she will do the same. Which is very wrong that Cindy's wrong. Or very rare that Cindy's wrong. Um, uh, Certainly most of the problems in our home have been because of me. Uh, I'm just being honest this morning. Uh, Listen, your prayers are going to be hindered if you're not right with your spouse. And so men, I encourage you to lead. You ought to strive to have the most loving and the best relationship you can with your wife. Listen, and maybe this is more convicting because of this past year when I came on staff here at the church, is if I'm not right with my wife, I can't pray for the church like I ought to. That's a hard thing to swallow. Because that's my private life. No, it's, it's not. But listen, I want you to get this. God is interested in every aspect of your life. There isn't some secret place. There isn't some certain special set-aside area of your life that's untouchable by God. God wants all of it. And so your private life affects your ability to minister. And I would say perhaps I'm at a greater level of accountability in that because of my position, because of where God's uh, called me and brought me. It's sobering. But I would say for you folks that maybe aren't pastors or, or, or teachers or somebody, maybe you just, listen, it, it's no less grave for you to have something between you and your wife, husband and wife, that's causing a problem. It, it's going to affect your child rearing. It, it's going to affect your ability to minister in ministries of the church that you are involved in. Listen, it's affecting your relationship with Almighty God. That ought to be enough to say, listen, I don't want that. I need to have things clear between me and my Savior. Lack of treating one's wife with proper understanding and love and care will lead to your prayers being hindered. Ephesians 5.28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Men, do you give enough or as much attention to your wife's needs and the things that she's concerned with as you do your own? If a man wishes to promote his own happiness in the most effectual way, he had better begin by showing kindness to his wife. Albert Barnes said that. Men ought to be leaders in this area. I said that a moment ago. Are you striving to love your wife as you do yourself? A lack of engagement and commitment to pleasing your wife, listen to me this morning, is tantamount to abuse or negligence at least. This is so important that God says that he, your prayers will be hindered. That's a big deal. Because if your prayers are hindered, that means your relationship with God is hindered. Your fellowship is not where it ought to be. We ought to be striving to have nothing between our spouses. Now listen, we're not perfect. I understand that. But when things come up, deal with them. 
And so this morning, here's where I want to spend most of our time. Less prayer time. Our limited time in prayer may be the hindrance. Do you spend any time in prayer? And I'm not talking about praying for your food or the casual prayers you do while you're driving down the road. And I'm not against those things. I do them. I think we ought to do those things. But do you really spend time in in prayer? You say you pray, but do not see God moving. Perhaps you're not spending enough time in prayer. You can go to Matthew chapter 26, if you would. We're going to look at a few verses. Um, Well, we'll see. Um, I think this may be the biggest hindrance. And I know we talked about the sin of prayerlessness. And I don't think that there are too many people in this room that just never pray. But I'm talking about having dedicated prayer time this morning, uh, a time that you set apart uh, to pray. And certainly we need to do that. But Matthew chapter 26, verse 40, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep. And if you're familiar with this passage, the Garden of Gethsemane, and and the Lord says, hey, watch ye and pray, and and he's going to go away and and so he comes back and he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? And I know for some people an hour in prayer probably seems like an eternity. Because maybe you've never spent an hour in prayer. Um, but an hour really isn't that long. And these words should pierce our hearts. We have all the time for social media. We have all the time for TV. We have all the time for the internet, for movies, hobbies, other activities. Yet when it comes to prayer, for some, and I dare say for most, there is hardly a decent amount of time given. And I can say that because I've experienced that in my own Christian life. And I don't say that because I'm proud of it. That's to my shame. But there were periods of time in my Christian life where I did not make prayer a priority like it ought to be. And those things like TV and movies and certainly my hobbies and, and listen, my job, my work, I allowed that to be a bigger priority. Uh, I could get up and go to work at 3 a.m. if the Air Force told me I needed to. but how often do we get up a great while before day just so we can pray? And I say just so we can pray, but that, that's almost the wrong way to say it. We To pray. Listen, prayer needs to be a priority for the people of God. Um, as, as I've mentioned a couple times now, God has chosen to use prayer to work. And certainly what I've learned in my Christian life is that you develop a greater relationship with your God when you pray. And what a blessing it is. Throwing in a few minutes while the mind is not even ready and our prayer time is over. Have you been there? Boy, I know it's time to pray. So, uh, listen, we talk about this attitude of prayer. But I'm afraid oftentimes we approach our prayer time very mechanically. We have a prayer list. 
We have some certain, certain things that to, to ease our conscience, we're going to mention some, well, I've got to pray for the church. I've got to pray for my wife because she needs that stuff, right? I've got to pray for my children. And so we oftentimes we have a, we better pray for our missionaries. And we approach this matter of prayer so mechanically that we never truly were in an attitude of prayer. We never truly were in that fellowship. I challenge you to look at the Lord's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was getting a hold of God, His Father. He was communing with Him some of the deepest things that He was struggling with. That's what prayer is. Prayers get a hold of God. It's not about taking a list of petitions and wants and desires and, and, and even needs and those things. And we're commanded to do that. We're commanded to bring those things before Him. But we also must remember that vain repetitions aren't profitable. And we must remember that He knows that we have need of these things. And so sometimes for me in my time of prayer, it really turns out to be more of a conversation and a fellowship. And a whole lot less, God, please do this, please do this, please do this, please do this. And God begins to reveal some things about what he wants me to do in my life. Hey, Justin, I've noticed this area of your life. Or how about we, you should probably focus a little more over here. And it becomes a matter of fellowship. Don't rush prayer. Certainly we need to set away time to, do, to pray, but, but don't be mechanical about it is, is what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Because oftentimes that's just to soothe our conscience or to make us feel good uh, internally. But, um, <clears throat> but the reality is how can we expect God to hear us when we give Him so little time? Much less ever hearing from Him in prayer. Our prayers are often so rushed and mechanical rather than a true attitude of prayer. Jesus demonstrated a pattern of prayer. Mark 1.35, it says this, And in the morning, rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place and there prayed. I listened to a message this week about uh, that solitary place, and, and it was a whole message specifically dealing with that, and and the one thing I took away from there is we need to get into a place where it's just you and God. Jesus separated himself from potential distractions and all these things and put himself in a place where he could just really get a hold of the Father. As I was preparing this, I came across some notable things. Jesus prayed before and after many significant moments or events. I don't know if I ever really clued into this like I did uh, preparing for this. But here's just a couple examples. He prayed before selecting the 12 disciples. So he prayed before decisions, Luke 6, 12. He prayed before his transfiguration, so major events, Luke 9, 28. Uh, listen, he withdrew in prayer following miracles, Luke 5, 28. Have you ever had a great victory in your life? What often happens after that? Boy, Satan's there ready to attack. But those are the times where discouragement and things often can creep in. And we can get down, we can get frustrated, we can be challenged. Our Savior gave us a pattern of after miracles were done. He did it after feeding the 5,000. 
Um, and so you, Luke 5.28, I think he told you that. It was after he did many miracles there in that place. And then specifically after feeding the 5,000 in Mark 6.46, he goes away and prays. Uh, listen, sometimes we, what's the, God tell us? Watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. So oftentimes after the great victories that we experience in our lives, we certainly need to pray. We need to get alone with our God because we are at a greater place or we're at a more significant opportunity for us to fail and to succumb to temptation. And so God help us. Listen, our Savior prayed. There's a pattern over and over we see this. And this one caught my attention. He prayed alone. In the routine of life is what I put here in my notes. But this is after feeding the 5,000 in the, the account in the Gospel of Luke. If you want to look at Luke 9.28 sometimes, sometime, I found this interesting. It says Jesus prayed alone. And then later in that same verse, it says his disciples were with him. And the, thing, the thought that came to my mind is just in the routines of everything, he still found time to get away and pray. Uh, this wasn't the one time, this isn't one of the times where he goes to that solitary place alone to pray, but he has excused himself from the overall crowd, if you will, from, from the matter at hand, and he's excused himself because he's praying. Uh, and and well, what a blessing to know that we have a Savior that prayed in all these things, in the, in the routines. And certainly we know he prayed in the garden uh, and before his, his crucifixion. Look with me to Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to try to draw that. i got five minutes to kind of draw this to a close here. <clears throat> and we're going to look at the latter part of this verse. Very well-known passage here, Hebrews 11:6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. And we've talked about we need to pray in faith. Uh, but look what it says. For he that cometh to God must believe, must believe that he is, and look at here, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We need a diligent prayer life. Uh, we need to seek God with diligence. God rewards those who diligently seek Him. And what I would tell you this morning is, diligently indicates effort and time. You are going to have to commit time to your prayer life if you want to see God work. And listen, what a blessing to know God has obligated himself to respond if we would just be obedient and be diligent about the matter. God is ready to answer our prayers and to meet with us in prayer. But are we diligent about the matter? Webster's 18.28, diligently, with steady application or constant care. Not carelessly, not negligently. That's the definition of diligent. We can't just be careless about this matter. Steady application, constant care in the matter of prayer. We need to be diligent in our prayer lives. And certainly the application of, or the idea of diligence is a reoccurring theme in our Bible. We listened to preaching on, uh, in that vein at camp uh, this year, um, <clears throat> we must give ourselves to the steady application of seeking God. And I would say that's especially true in our prayer life. We must make time for prayer. Listen to me this morning. If you don't have specific time that you're praying, you need to establish that. 
And I'm just saying that based on the authority of God's word and the fact that God wants to meet with you in prayer. Don't be negligent in the matter. Don't be careless about this issue. It's a big issue. We need to be a praying people. Pray as many hours a day as you possibly can. You can never spend too much time in prayer. There is no such thing as praying too much. But I'll tell you this morning, there is only praying too little. Oftentimes we're just guilty of just not praying enough. And I think I've mentioned this even recently, but I would advise you, don't start. Don't block off three hours tomorrow morning for prayer if you've never spent 20 minutes in prayer. That'll be discouraging. Start a little, maybe 15 minutes a day. I can, we can think, I think we can make an argument scripturally that we should be praying three times a day. We know that was a pattern of Daniel, so much so that they used it against him. And so, but nonetheless, start out with, with something that's manageable. But don't be content with that. Just be shooting for consistency at that point. Try to make that a consistent thing that you do regularly. Keep that time. Uh, then do that for a few weeks and, and they maybe perhaps increase it a little bit here and a little bit there. <clears throat> but I will say this as we close. I, I think we can, we can agree that a person is not more spiritual because they spend more time in prayer. But I would say this, a spiritual person will pray. It's about the relationship, it's about the fellowship. A spiritual person will desire fellowship with the Lord. And so what you do in that time of prayer is more important. It's not about blocking away time and and being distracted mentally and not being in an attitude of prayer. And then being able to say to your friends, oh boy, I prayed for three hours today. That's not what this is about. It's about fellowshipping and in walking with our God. And so this morning we're going to conclude this idea of hindrances to prayer. And, and so the idea here isn't that we're going to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect and then only God will hear your prayer. So if, if you find yourself struggling with any or all of these hindrances, we must go with an attitude of open confession and ask God's forgiveness and to help us. That's the idea here is to deal with these hindrances. It's not that you're going to be perfect. The sin would be taking these hindrances lightly or stubbornly refusing to go and to deal with them. One needs to make sure these hindrances are addressed properly that God can hear and answer prayers. Don't allow these hindrances in your prayer life. And and I'll close with this. I know the buzzers buzzed me out, but it's good to remember that none of these hindrances are, if if some of these hindrances are present in your life uh, or none of them, you've dealt with all these hindrances, I guess is what I'm trying to say, that God's always going to give you a yes answer to your prayers. That's not what I'm trying to say. Prayer is not about getting yes answers, but seeking God's will to be accomplished. 
And so at times, a no answer is also proof that God has heard and answered your prayer. I encourage you to take some time and focus on examining your life in order to remove these hindrances. If not, your prayer life will just be a futile exercise. Let's pray.